With great data comes even greater access latency. Welcome to the Trino Community Broadcast, where we transform your latency woes into fast insights. Trino Community Broadcast is a show where we cover events and happenings in the open source Trino community and show off some really cool stuff about Trino and today, Resurface. <laughs> so we have a <laughs> couple honored guests today. Uh, Rob, thank you very much uh, for joining us and uh, returning to uh, the show today is Martine, uh, the CTO and uh, creator of Presto and Trino. So welcome everyone. And thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So. Okay going to be uh, uh, jumping into some some pretty cool stuff. Uh, you know, Rob is is maybe, uh, I don't know, if you do my job better than I do about talking about Trino. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you're, I, I would say, one of the biggest super fans that, uh, that we have in the community, and, and we're so glad to have you today. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, pretty cool whenever, you know, where you you are in uh you basically have this technology that is used in a particular way and then you just uh you get a use case and uh particularly like uh how you guys have started to uh integrate trino into your solution uh it's really interesting to hear and so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today is um kind of understanding what resurface is uh what you all are are setting out to achieve uh, in your company and then kind of you know see how how trino crept into that uh uh, that solution that, that you all are providing. So, so we're really excited to, to hear about that. Um, but, uh, uh, first let's, um, uh, go to, uh, talk about, uh, the, uh, uh, the sponsors of the show. Um, we are uh, sponsored by Starburst, uh, and basically, uh, we just wanted to do a quick, uh, talk about one of the, um, one of the, uh, meetups that they will be sponsoring. Let me go quickly to that in the code scene. So Starburst uh, is sponsoring this, uh, this meetup uh, that we have on, on May 26th. Um, and this is going to be inviting one of the uh, guests that we had on the show, I think, was it two, two or, yeah, two episodes ago. Two episodes ago. Um, with uh, Ryan Blue. He is the creator of Apache Iceberg. And while we were uh, talking about uh, the uh, Apache Iceberg in general, we, we ran into, like, I, I, we just kind of on the side asked him, like, are there any kind of interesting use cases that, that came up with Iceberg that were kind of like the out of the ordinary type of use case? And, uh, and Ryan just started spouting out, like, I mean, three or four. And he, like, he could have kept going. And I was like, man, this is, I mean, it was, it was so interesting. And it, you know, pulled us over even, even longer than we usually go. Um, but it was so worth it. it. It's like, so, so I was just like, I invited him to see if he could come to a meetup and talk about like all these crazy use cases, uh, and actually just dedicate a whole talk to it. So, so, uh, Ryan is going to kind of come on and, and talk about, I think iceberg in general, just for anybody who doesn't know about iceberg, Apache iceberg, it's a uh, super cool, uh, uh, table format that replaces a lot of the, uh, setup that, uh, that hive, uh, has, uh, the hive table format. Uh, was using in the past and solves a lot of issues for uh, data engineers. Um, and so uh, after he kind of talks about that a little bit, he's going to go into some of these like really interesting use cases. And one of the particular ones I thought was interesting, uh, I'm not going to spoil it totally, but it's it kind of replaces one of uh, uh, a hive topic. 
So you could actually use Iceberg to kind of replace one of the uh, uses for, for um, Hive topics in, in certain cases. So really interested to hear about a, a lot of these and uh, um, definitely uh, come sign up if you uh, have not already. It will be in, I think, just yesterday, two weeks from yesterday. So, uh, so about um, two weeks from now. Uh, so come join us for that. Uh, this is sponsored by uh, Starburst and uh, really excited to have these things coming up. Um, this will only be in the Americas, by the way. Um, it's uh, the, We will be taking the recording and putting it up for uh, e the other time zones, but, um, but we are now trying to push a little more towards uh, having the uh, time zones, uh, the, the different uh, meetups in different time zones kind of have their own local uh, speakers as well. So, but anything that happens in any of these will be recorded and, and then made available to, to anybody from any time zone. So try to make it if you can, if you're not in the uh, America's time zone. And uh, otherwise, uh, we'll have a recording for, for anybody in, in EMEA or, or APAC uh, that's not available to attend. And so. let's use that as a call out straight away right there, because <laughs> if you are interested in presenting at the Trino meetup in Asia Pacific or EMEA or even in the US and you think you have a great topic, um, please contact us and we'll make it happen. Yeah, we, we're, we're getting different people uh, in, in the community, who some, some different motivated folks in, in different areas um, that are uh, going to be kind of stepping up. We're, we're hoping that we'll slowly kind of uh, get them to step up into these uh, leadership roles in, in their particular regions. And, uh, and then they, they will be uh, kind of running these shows and looking for people. But definitely, if you are somebody who has something interesting to talk about with Trino, or, or even if it's just like, um, you know, kind of talking about how your company uses Trino, uh, we're always uh, interested to, to hear those uh, different talks that uh, um, uh, could be something that, uh, who knows, eventually makes it into something like we can uh, try to get you into Trino Summit or something like that. Uh, which uh, we will talk about uh, right now since I already brought it up. Uh, Trino Summit. Uh, did I? Oh, man. <laughs> I didn't even put it on the events. Uh, here, let me just go to the website real fast. Uh, Trino Summit. Here we go. So starburst.io. Uh, this will be in the show notes uh, after this. Um, so you go to starburst.io forward slash Trino Summit 2021. Um, and we will be having a, uh, um, a summit on September 15th. Uh, Originally, we had planned two days, but we decided uh, this is going to be moving to a hybrid event. And so we, we are going to be making it a, a single day event uh, for, for the safety of those uh, attending in person. So uh, right now we are just having a save the date. Uh, it's kind of early to register since this is uh, so far out, but we will be moving into a registration in a couple months, but just wanted to keep people aware that this is coming up and uh, we have a lot of interesting talks already uh, kind of planned. Uh, and as of course, um, Martine will be, uh, and, and, and Dane and David will be delivering the, uh, the state of Trino. So, um, so without further ado, um, uh, let's, uh, we, oh, and Mark, uh, I was gonna, before we hop right into, uh, uh everything else, like, I guess we don't, didn't have a release this week, huh? No, we had one last week. We, we, we actually, uh, jumped the, uh, ju jumped, uh, ahead of time and we actually, uh, t talked about 356, uh, in the last show. And I don't know if we were like expecting, I don't know what we were expecting, but I guess we just knew that, yeah, we weren't going to be able to, to get a release this show, but, uh, is, is 357 coming up anytime soon or, uh, probably like in the next week and a half or week to week and a half or so. Okay. So maybe, and, and, uh, 
the, we're doing the show. Typically, we do the shows every two weeks, but this show we're actually going to be doing. Uh, the, the following show is going to be in a week, so it'll be anybody's guess if we'll have three fifty-seven to be reporting <laughs> by next by next week. So okay, well, so that's just so everybody knows that that listens to this. Usually, uh, we we did cover three fifty-six last week. Uh, we will be uh, having no, nothing to report on in terms of releases this week, but uh, a lot of cool stuff I've already seen kind of queued up for for the next release already including uh manfred was just talking about a couple docs docs changes coming uh down the corner so so that's always exciting so um all right so the theme of this show let me go over to the code scene real fast we have uh our 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 traditional commander bun bun uh rocking what uh the theme of the show so here we see commander bun bun on the uh on, on the resurface uh whale uh, logo and by the way today I'm, I'm also kind of sporting uh, not my traditional Trino shirt but I'm sporting a, uh, a resurface um, uh, haiku shirt so it says my API broke used to work just fine and now I'm dying inside so nice little haiku <laughs> uh, it, who, who thought of that haiku is there is there a big haiku junkie at, at resurface Oh my gosh, was that our April Fools? I, f I forget. We were, yeah, we were having a haiku contest on Slack at some point. Oh, nice. <laughs> and this was the winner? Yeah, I think that was the one we actually tweeted. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. So, so, um, so yeah, uh, today's guest, Rob Dickinson, uh, you, you're the CEO of Resurf and co-founder of, of Resurface Labs. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about Resurface and kind of, uh, uh, you know, what, what kind of problems are, are you all solving over there? Yeah. And thanks so much for having me. I mean, we are super fan is the right word. Totally. When it, <laughs> when it comes to Trino, um, so resurface is an API system of record, which is just a fancy way of saying that we're a database that's specifically built to deal with API requests and response okay. data. So we're, we're capturing API traffic and you can think of that kind of like, it's kind of like a web log or an access log, but on steroids because resurface runs on Trino. And so you have a, a web log or an access log that has all of the all the details, and you can manipulate all that data with the with the full power of SQL that that we get from Trino. So it's really you know an amazing mixture. You know, there's a lot of no SQL things out there and custom built things out there, but but to actually you know be, actually be able to present all that data through a, a standard SQL interface. I, I think is is pretty pretty unique and amazing. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of tools built on Elastic. You know, there's a lot of observability and, and logging tools out there, but as far as I know, we're we're the only one that 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 really could be called you know Trino native. Yeah. So you, you were saying talking about kind of observ observability and logs and metrics. Now, like a lot of people, like my, the first thing that came to my mind whenever I I was reading through kind of the problems that Resurface is addressing. Sometimes it might easily be confused with like a, a typical observability or, or telemetry type services. That, that's not what you all are doing here, though. It's 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 very different. What 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 uh, does Resurface do that kind of differs them from that type of, of space? Yeah, so our goal is really to help you instantly find API failures, slowdowns and attacks. OK, and and so. You know, we think of, we're thinking about that from really a, a DevOps perspective, from a DevSecOps perspective. 
And and what we've seen over and over again over the last you know, 10 years with our previous company and, and now with Resurface is, is just all these cases where you're, you're using system monitoring. You're, you're looking at the health of the systems. You've got your, your logs. You've got your health metrics. And those are telling you, you know, your CPU looks okay and, you know, your processes are running and, and things are available. But there's still a gap between that and what your what your users or your customers are, are actually seeing. And from our own data, um, you know, our estimate is that if you if you put if you put an API service up and you make it public, anywhere from one third to half of that traffic that you're gonna get is not real. Mm. It's it's bots, it's attackers, it's it's people trying to probe you, trying to figure out and and kind of the larger target you are, you know, if you're a bank, if you're an e-commerce platform, if you're a crypto platform, I mean, you, you even present a, a larger target um, for all that. So, so one of the one of the symptoms that we've seen from that is is you might look at your system logs, you might look at your system metrics, you might see that there was a, a 500 throne or there was a stack trace that that shows up in your logs, and then your first question is going to be. Well, is that really something that I care about? Like, what's the urgency? Has that been happening a lot? Was that was that a, a script kitty just just knocking at the door trying to get into doing something stupid, or was that a real customer that actually lost revenue um, where where I should go back and reengage? And we've seen kind of this breakdown that we see in this diagram here. I mean, this really isn't that new, right? I mean, if you think about like how Apache web server runs. You've got you've got the system log messages and you've got like the system health that you can manage that you can monitor out of Apache, but then you've got your web log, and those are really separate you know separate concepts, and so that's that's really how we're positioning Resurface is we want Resurface to be the easy the easy way to to plug in, and and now you've got that web log like functionality, but because it's SQL powered you can do a, a lot more with it um, in terms of finding those those failures those throwdowns those, those slowdowns and the uh, and the attacks yeah I, I like the analogy i kind of drew in my head and just maybe this is totally wrong but like the way i think about it is you know like a lot of people that are putting apis like you know apis are these like public http things that are easy to like call and manipulate and mess with right and it's it's like such an easy hole to poke through your system that potentially exposes a lot so like a lot of times companies will do like pen tests before they try to deploy these APIs and, and make sure that like everything is good. And then they just deploy it. And, you know, again, you, you take system logs and things like that, but, but there's not a lot of, uh, a lot that's going on con continuously on, on production, unless something happens in kind of a reactionary state. And so I, I like to, I, I don't know if this makes sense, but like, would, would you, would uh, calling resurface an ongoing pen test make sense? Like it's essentially like, Abs yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and we're, we're really moving very, very quickly in that, in that direction. So cool. It, it's not a stretch to say we're, we're kind of like burp suite, but, but we're running continuously on, on an ongoing basis on your, you know, on your production systems. Um, so we want to be identified, you know, because these are, these are actually all things that you can query for. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, you can query for SQL injection. Yeah. You can query for malformed JSON. Yeah. Um, and, 
and actually being able to do that with a query first approach is is exactly what you want i yeah. think for for this kind of use case because now if you find that zero day failure or you found you find that zero day attack you you can immediately back test that idea against all of the data that you have and and now you have a really easy way to find out you know what's what's the severity what's the urgency um, you know, is this a is this a revenue loss event or is this a, a an attack that needs to be mitigated somehow? Yeah, usually those those like those classifications of of what actually happened don't come until after your security comes in and investigates your your security team comes in and investigates, and you're trying to kind of get ahead of that curve and basically say like, okay, this is this is what this this uh, the the I guess the fingerprint of this call looks more like this type of attack or and this is kind of how it's being classified now uh is that classification happening through some smarts that resurface has or um so this this class so you're you're absolutely right that the the classification that we're doing is behavioral right because um hackers don't just identify themselves as yeah. hackers in their user agent string like it's, yeah it's not that easy here i come <laughs> um right what you what you want to look for in the user agent string is known pen test tools so that you can like take those out of your regular metrics mm -hmm. so that your pen testing doesn't mess up all your all your normal um all your normal kpis but but setting that aside, you're absolutely right that that the best way to detect threats is is what they're actually doing. Mm -hmm. um, is is your API being used in bounds? Is it being used the way it's supposed to be used, or or is it is it obviously trying to be manipulated? Um, and and again, we're we're really taking a query first approach to that. Um, we're we're doing just a bare minimum of processing actually at capture time. So we do just, just a couple things like we'll, we'll parse the JSON payload if it's there and validate, validate that we'll parse the, the GraphQL payloads that are there and, and validate that. But almost everything else is done through views and virtual columns, which means that those definitions, yeah, great to, great to go back to this. So, so a certain amount of this is coming, you know, from from the actual data collection, but then a lot of this is actually done with with virtual views and columns. Okay. So so super naive question, and so basically you're saying you expose some sort of business uh, API, uh, like typically I guess a REST API. You were saying you also mentioned GraphQL, um, and then what happens is resurface sits between, like somewhere between the business logic that implements and like listens to the API and the web server load balance or whatever that hits the API and you just take all the traffic and dump it somewhere in addition. And then you use Trino to query it and apply additional logic. Is that kind of how it works? Yes, yes, ex exactly. So a lot of solutions do this on the network. They do this by using gateway servers or proxy servers or God help us, packet sniffers. <laughs> old world, but um, we're taking a, a, a very user space approach, um, more like a more like a, an app dynamics or a new relic. Um, uh, so we can either we can either put middleware into your into your API, um, or we can hook your API gateway. Like if you're on Azure, you know we can hook into Azure Event Hub, you know just like everybody else, um, and that's what that's what gives us the the feed of data. 
And then what we basically have built is a, is a, a native storage engine for Trino. So we're essentially like, there is no, there, there is, there's some separate processing that we're doing outside of Trino on the ingest, but, but we don't, we don't really have a database. Like our, our database is, is Trino. We're, and, and we will, we'll get to a diagram of this, um, but we're, we're bringing all this data in, we're, we're coalescing it into binary files, and then we're scanning those binary files with a, with a custom connector um, where we, we worked backwards from the, the Trino um, row set interface. Hmm. So um, yeah, there, there should be more tools that are, that are doing this, but, but as far as I know, we're, we're, we're the only observability tool that, that actually uses Trino as its, as its native data store. Hmm. Very cool. You were saying before that like up to 50% of traffic typically of any like more or less um, public and uh, popular API is by some sort of hacking and like not valid traffic. If it's, if it's an API or a web service interface that's at all attached to a website or discoverable that way, then absolutely like at least 50% of your traffic wow. Wow. will be, will be garbage. And it's kind of a it's it's kind of a dirty little secret, honestly, in the in the APM community. Um, we used to get this question all the time. You know, I I see the stack trace, but you know, and I and I see there's errors going on, but is that is that real? Like, is that am I am I being spoofed here? Is it is it a DOS attack or is it am I really losing revenue? And what what really sucks is when you're in you know when you're in the moment of that it feels horrible because you're you're guessing everybody's running around trying to trying to figure out what's going on your 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 organization over rotates on it um and we we hate that right we hate those escalations yeah. it's, it's i think the opposite of being in a flow state and writing code your your and, venn diagram <laughs> here kind of summarizes that right I, by the way i love your use of emojis in in uh in all of these diagrams <laughs> it's so perfect uh but yeah like this is this is kind of what you're 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 suggesting here right is these these overlaps of responses failed you're you're not really sure if that's due to some actual customer problem or if it's like if it's actually you know like people just spoofing or or bots just messing around kind of like like randomly hitting ports and trying to scrape and see what's possible um so so yeah so we is it is it this you know screaming customer or is it this uh, little devil guy <laughs> down here that's the question and you don't know <laughs> you don't know it until until you actually classify and, and actually start tracking uh the calls coming in and, and and classifying them in some way yeah and again it's 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 that you're you're taking your 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 system that you you stayed up late and 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 got working right on on your systems and your your test hardware and and everything passes right mm -hmm. but then but then you take that out into production into this very hostile environment mm -hmm. and and it it totally shifts your your perspective and and i think one of the one of the ways that you see that is when when you look at um when you look at some of the, the the messaging around around APM and observability, there's this idea that we're gonna we're gonna stop all the failures. You're you're gonna be able to resolve everything, hmm. and that like totally makes sense if you're in a controlled environment. But but as soon as you go into a live public environment where like maybe up to half of your traffic is goofball traffic, mm -hmm. 
I mean, that's just you're 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 ever you're never actually reducing the number of failures to zero. You're just managing how your how your stuff is failing because yeah. half the time it's being misused, and of course, you some of that you you want to fail on purpose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of this. Uh, you, ever, you ever see the Dave Chappelle episode where? Uh, they try to make the internet into like a real place and it's actually like a shopping mall. <laughs> and so like, you know, we never think about the internet as like some very chaotic thing. Sometimes we, we go and we interact with it ourselves as, as a human being, but we don't, we don't see a lot of the, you know, kind of nefarious or, or even just like just chaotic in general nature of, of all the different bots and, and different things that are, that are going on. And so anyways, and for those that don't know, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a comic, uh, little uh, uh, setup or comic scene that they do where they go into this mall type thing and they, they have places where you can actually buy, you know, regular music. And then they, uh, across this, this is a, a long time ago, but across the, from the place where you actually buy the music, uh, there's this place called Napster where everybody's just looting the store and pulling out <laughs> CDs for free. And it's just, it's total chaos in this, in this, uh, mall that they have, uh, called the internet. So it's, uh, it's, it's exactly kind of what you're saying. You know, you, we don't think about the internet being as chaotic or, or, you know, what's, what's going on. I think maybe developers do because we just, we see a lot of what's possible, but, but your average, you know, individual that's, you know, thinking, okay, well, we're going to put this thing out there and it's going to be just like it was in, in testing. Um, you know, it's, it's never the case. And, and, and like you said, it's a very hostile environment. So. This is why your security people are so grumpy. Yeah, exactly. Because because they're you know, they they feel like they're under siege all the time. Yeah. And and I think one of the things that that I think we're really excited about is is the idea that you know if you if you go back to when DevOps was new, um, the the coolest thing about DevOps was was like the first for the first time as a developer, I might get invited to look at the production system. And so I'm like, I'm not actually seeing how it runs on my system. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing how it really runs for real. And yeah. the ops team used to own that. And that used to be like somebody else's thing, right? And and it wasn't like yours. You didn't you didn't just have direct direct access to it. And it feels like it's the same case with security today. Yeah. So you so if you think about it, like you're unless you're unless you're really looking at the same same data and you're and you're huddling around the same ideas it's so easy to have the split brain that, that comes out of that like development thinks everything's fine all our tests are passing it all works on my machine mm -hmm. and then the security team is running around with their hair on fire yep. trying to build urgency right yeah um but as a developer I've, I've never been invited like i've never been given a login to a sim or like shown any of the security systems even running on my own apps right because yeah. it's 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 heavily gated yep um, so yeah, just, that's, that's really what we're trying to do is, is use the system of record to, to be able to bring these different stakeholders together and, and really say, let's stop guessing, let's stop guessing about what the threats are. Let's stop guessing about how that's really affecting our APIs and, and really be able to take a, an empirical approach. So, so this, there's a big list that you have here, and by the way, the, all these images that we're kind of referring to, uh, for those listening in are, these are all available on the show notes. So, um, so this big list of, of kind of fields that you have here, these are all things that either you've, you've, you know, directly received from, uh, the, the logger or, um, or is, is somehow kind of, uh, parsed out and, and, and play and placed into the database. Is that correct? 
Correct. So the 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 biggest thing, if you're if you're trying to get your head around, you know, what we're doing and and how it's different from from logs or health metrics, it, it's really about the data model, right? Mm-hmm. Metrics are are time stamped counts. Log messages are time stamp severity and a detail message. And that's one of the things that makes logs hard for non-developers to use is because whatever question you're trying to ask, you have to translate to a detail message that you can free text search on. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's not obvious how you would do that. Our data model is really, it's it's the HTTP datagram. So it's it's all the data in the request and the response. And, and it's all broken out into these discrete data elements um, so that you can say, I want to do this with the path. I want to do this with the URL. I want to do this with the with the date or the, the headers or the payloads and be able to address the those different data elements individually. And then, of course, be able to apply aggregations and filters and, and everything else that you get through through SQL. And, and this kind of gets pulled out into uh, a query that may look like is this is the view a query on that view that you were kind of discussing before this query here yeah so so the problem and and what what led us down this this role this this road with with trino the, the the problem is like it sounds great to have that data model with all those different fields in it it's very rich i can i can now describe a lot of different different conditions and I can I can relate those those fields to each other. So I can do things like look at the content type. And if the content type is JSON, then I can try to parse the response body as JSON. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're really trying to get into those those deep level inspections, right? Because we're we're trying to identify threats. We're trying to identify soft failures where maybe you didn't get a 500, but there's a stack trace returned as the as as the response mm. and and the problem with that is as, and as you can see like this is this is actually like the simplest query realist still realistic query that i could come up with most of them are much bigger but the problem is you're really touching all of those columns so you're saying i need to look at the response code i need to look at the at the at the payload i need to look at the content type i need to look at the response time you know and 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 then you turn around, and this is just for like the failures part of that. And then you say, well, let's subset that with the attacks. And the attacks is going to be a whole different set of conditions around what the URL looks like, what the what the response codes are, and and so on. And and it's much more meaningful if those aren't static, fixed definitions that are applied when the data is captured. Because the question that you really want to be able to answer is what's going on right now so being able to apply these definitions in real time or change these definitions in real time and have that instantly applied to all the data that's there that's the kind of use case that, that we wanted to get to but as you guys know you know if you try to so then you say so you step back and you say all right well as a database designer what what kinds of indexes do i need wow it sounds like i need an index on every column and is, is my database going to do a great job of merging those conditions together if I'm literally constraining every column? Yeah. Um, you know, with a columnar database in particular, th- that's actually one of the anti-patterns. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you don't want to try to ma- rematerialize all columns, all rows at the same time. Um, that'll, be, that'll be more expensive. So we, 
we really struggled to find uh, a, a data store that that would work for these kinds of, of workloads and and really give us the the efficiency that, that we were looking for gotcha so you then ended up saying oh we can't really just dump it into like Elasticsearch or uh, some relational database and explode it we can't store it as json files straight on on iceberg or hive or whatever so you had to bite the bullet and figure out how to do an actual storage engine like that 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 must have been a a big decision and a big call. What 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 led you down that track? And then, sort of, what did you end up finding? How how hard that is, and and how much Trino helps you with that? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a huge set of problems there. In our in our previous company, we took a, a star schema approach. We actually had a, a we would evolve the schema to to fit the data. We had multiple patents in this area. We spent years developing the stack. And honestly, my feeling was we couldn't afford to do all that again. Like it's it's a huge lift to to try to do um, to try to satisfy this kind of query in a normal relational database. It can be done, but but the the mapping that that has to be done to to get that to, to work is is pretty extreme, and it's also pretty sensitive to, to the data and and the distributions in the data itself. So what we actually started with we. We built a whole V1 system around Pulsar that we ended up tossing <laughs> because we just we just couldn't get the query performance out of you know we thought well well of course we're going to use a queue so we'll just we'll soak up all the data with the queue and then we'll just we'll just query the queue right hmm. um, and it worked but your your queries are are so slow and we could do the kind of complexity that we wanted to do like that was okay. Um, you know, you could, you could, you could, you could express just about any level of complexity of query and you'd be able to satisfy it, but it, but it just took too long. And so, um, we did a, we did a prototype with the Trino memory connector of all things. So I was looking around as like, we, we'd already, we'd already picked Trino and, and we were, and so we asked ourselves, well, what's, what's kind of the speed limit? Like what's, what's as fast as we could possibly go? And we'll see what that teaches us. And then maybe we'll work backwards from that. And the, the fastest thing that we could put our hands on was the, was the memory connector, um, which I know is kind of a atypical <laughs> use of that. But, but we actually, actually did that. And, and yeah, you, you paid a, a ton of overhead in processing like the insert statements, literally bulk loading the insert statements into the memory connector. Um, you know, you'll you'll burn some CPU in doing that, but but worked just fine. Um, we were able to do, uh, we were able to do, you know, the same kind of data capture that we'd been doing, and the queries that we were getting were just ridiculous. You know, mm. 100 milliseconds, 200 milliseconds, 400 milliseconds, and we saw this, and and for the first time, we really went, wow! Like, if we could make that real, if we could deliver that kind of performance up through our UI, when you know you click on show me the API attacks and we're giving you that data in less than a second. Um, that, that really felt like we were onto something, but now as engineers, we're like, great. So how, but how do we actually pull that off? Mm. Um, so, so can know. we step back for a second? Um, 
the memory connector. Maybe Martin can tell us what this is actually designed for because <laughs> it's actually pretty much a hack. So, uh, and you're building like a yeah. full-on real system on top of a hack there. So let's let's talk about <laughs> that house of cards a bit. Yeah, memory connector is uh, primarily for testing. It is for is to be able to uh, test things quickly without having to have an external hive or 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 database or, or anything like that. So you can launch a, a, a Trino instance, try things out, make sure your queries work, and and that's it. And and I think we use it in some unit tests, but that's that's about it. And uh, I used it for my demo the... queries in when I when yeah. I wrote the Trino, the definitive <laughs> right. guide. I wrote it for like people that just want to fire up Trino without attaching anything. You can write a create table into it and then learn SQL with it, right? Like yeah. if you want to exactly. have custom data. So it's it's literally a playground. Yeah, but for example, if you have a a, a cluster of machines, each yeah. of the machines has a segment of the table. If one of the machines goes down, then your table is gone, right? <laughs> so yeah, there's no memory. redundancy. <laughs> Well, but I mean, you can have memory, but you can have redundancy. You can have uh, like segments be replicated, moved around, and all that. There's nothing like that in that connector. Uh, people have been talking about improving that and, and making it a real production grade connector, which which is interesting and, and is something we should pursue. Yeah, I think Netflix mentioned something about that at, at some point. I think it was on the last show, or or maybe it was just directly to me. I'm not sure. But... I know that in development, it's used pretty heavily also for testing out things like you know, like figuring out like uh, things on like dynamic filtering or push down and whatever, because it's so fast and it has all the bells yeah. and whistles of a of a fancy connect. It just doesn't have the headaches of a storage attached. So yeah. well, it has in memory, but so yeah. it's kind of cool. Yeah, and it just happened to be perfect for the kind of prototyping that we're doing because we don't really do updates. We do we do bulk deletes. Um, so even you know even something that that just does inserts and selects is is really all all that we needed. So mm. um, yeah, I mean it it was originally like literally just a prototyping effort, but we were so happy with it in the end. Um, and part of part of what we do is we we start everybody with a with a single container instance, which I think we'll we'll get to here in, in a second. But um, we actually ended up shipping that for a few months that that version, um, <laughs> knowing all its limitations, um, right? And um, and it's and it's funny because you know you always feel a little weird if you're you're using a tool in a way like it obviously was not intended to be used but i just loved you know the, the first conversation i had with martin about this he was just kind of like yeah i mean i guess if that works for you i mean i guess it's okay <laughs> like and uh just just kind of went with it so yes yeah, it's, it's awesome yeah martin was definitely pointing at the uh, part in the in the uh, Apache licensing saying that it, we're not responsible. <laughs> yeah, but no. So yeah. so so what what uh, what then pushed you on? Like, I mean, you're saying V1, so I'm guessing now we're at uh, on a V2 type version. Could you talk a little more about kind of the progression there and and what you you all do today? Yeah, and so so once we had this running on the memory connector. You know, and like I said, we we'd been on Trino for for a while to that point because we always had this idea of, of wanting to support SQL clients and 
be able to support you know any kind of SQL tool or ETL tool or dashboarding tool that a customer might want to might want to join this data on. Um, and so, you know, now that we've now that we think we've got the performance that we might that we might want with something like the memory connector, now it's like how to make that shippable, how to do it for real, how to how to position that really to, to work in a in a larger you know scale out environment, and basically we started with the um, the the local file uh, sample in in Trino itself, which was awesome because that that gives um, the whole shell of what you need. So for anybody looking to, to build a, uh, a connector, that, that would be a really great, great place to start. So that gives you, you know, the Maven plugin task, um, just, just made all of that super easy. Um, you know, I've done custom plugins for other tools. <laughs> it's not really not always that easy, but, mm. but in this case, it was really, it was really a copy and paste. We, we got our first version of our own local connector working in about a weekend and what we did is is first we tried kind of putting all the data in redis because we thought well trino memory connector that's an in-memory thing you know redis is a really good in-memory thing let's just put all of our data in that and the problem with that was you're you've you've changed the locality so with with memory connector all that data is sitting right next to trino you go to Redis, now all that data is sitting across a network hop between Trino and Redis. And we're spending, and again, we're touching all the columns, <laughs> we're touching all the rows. So it's like you're trying to pull all that data from Redis across the network every mm -hmm. time you do a query. Obviously, the network is the problem. So that's why we, we started really looking harder at things like the local file connector and the, the HTTP log example and saying, let's let's use this ability that, that Trino gives us to push the queries to where the data lives and take that network out of the middle. And then we tried looking at, at JSON, we did CSV and protocol buff and like really what's the, what's the fastest way to, to bring that data in? You know, is it Avro? <laughs> um, and ultimately what we found was just streaming this data to our own binary file format and doing the just the bare minimum of of processing at capture time, and then having a connector that's really built for built working backwards from the the Trino row set interface specifically, and and basically brought that together with the without a lot of um, uh, impedance mismatch or a lot of translation um, between that. So. We actually tried this with with Avro, for example, but we realized with our implementation, we were able to do some things that we really couldn't do with that kind of layering. Um, our file format is very simple. We have basic versioning. We don't really have secondary ob secondary objects or graphs that are being you know stored and reconstituted. Um, we want to be able to scan this data very very quickly. And so we did a, a zero allocation reader on that. So basically, as you're as you're reading from that binary file, it's it's mem copies. Um, we're actually assuming that these binary files are pinned in OS cache, so they literally are, and they don't have to run that way. But but in the cases where it is configured that way, it, it really is you know an in memory database. 
um, in terms of its, its, its operating characteristics. And then looking at um, the, the Trino connector itself, that means now that we can do things like reporting null and not null without doing any type of, of type conversions. Um, so if you think about like, I'm going to read something from Avro and it knows it's a string. And so it's interning it as a string before I ever touch it, right? Um, instead of doing that, um, we can, we're basically saying we're, we're, we're doing this, this zero allocation mem copy. And then if, if get, if is null gets called, you, you, you look at that particular column and, and you see if it's null or not. Um, and then you wait until get slice would be called in terms of strings to, to do your, your string internment. But even that, um, we, we worked backwards from the slice interface so that we would hand off that buffer with, without any, any extra allocation, mm. um, happening there. So don't mean to go too far into the, no, weeds, no, that's exactly what we like, need. <laughs> yeah. We think about like everything that you have to go through to parse a line of CSV or everything you have to go through to parse, you know, a, a JSON object all of the memory allocation and scanning and parsing that goes into that, um, we really wanted to try to eliminate all of that yes. and, and really just take it down to, you know, a, a few, a few fast mem copies, um, defer your, your type, uh, your type conversions. And it's funny cause we didn't even realize like how, how significant that would be at first. Um, but kind of at these latencies that we're talking about here, you know, taking a taking a byte array and casting it to a string is actually a very significant operation mm. um, in, in terms of the performance of it. So being able to to stick to the slice interface and just say I've I've got this this region and I'm I pull that out as a as a as an array and just treat that as the as the slice um, really just kind of put this on a, on a whole new level. Wow. So, you know, I, I can't say that I spent, you know, six months trying to make CSV as fast as it could possibly be, or, you know, I didn't, I didn't spend, you know, months and months and months trying to make our protocol buff. I mean, I'm maybe, maybe there are other ways to tune that up. Um, but, but our, our benchmarks, you know, we can get three times the, the linear scan rate with, with our format that we would with CSV and there's almost no garbage collection happening um, during that process. So that's that's kind of hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's, that's amazing. So so, but that file format that you created is basically optimized to the fact that it's in memory and it's basically geared towards your use case, right? It's not a generic thing, right? Like that's probably one of the advantages you were able to wield that you can tune it towards that specific use case, like any other format like CSV or, or Elasticsearch, kind of like JSON has the problem that it is a string and then more binary file formats still have the like iceberg or whatever, like with, with like Parquet or org files, they have the problem that they have to be generic. You really could gear it towards your use case of like logs and like payload, right? That that's absolutely right. We're we're totally cheating from that perspective. Well, I right? mean that's not cheating. No, it's being smart, it, right? Like <laughs> it's but but you're absolutely right. Like like Avro, um, Park or K, uh, or sorry, Orc Parquet. Switch that. Um, those the yeah and and Redis too. 
um, they are all trying to solve, you know, they're trying to do their best to solve this for any schema for, you know, for any, anything that you could come up with that, that fits that model. And, and, and why we're cheating is because we can make all these specific assumptions around our data model specifically. And, and, and that's where, you know, I think, I think in general, as a, as a database developer, um, there's always that last mile to think about of, of having a more domain specific model. And, and if you can get a more native expression of that somehow in, in your data store, um, that, that can really be a way to, to move the ball, you know, when, when all else fails. Um, but, you, but you're exactly right. We've, so our, our format is really geared to our, our definition of, and, and the HTTP definition of what those data elements look like. And then a lot of that, actually so much of that is done through views and through virtual columns. Um, and it's funny because when, when we did our V2 project and we did all this stuff around Trino, we, we were really just thinking about optimizing our query performance and our read performance. But through that process, we actually realized that we didn't need to write as much data, which was crazy because we, we weren't really out to optimize for the writes. Um, so that, that but, leads but, me to... but we moved so much into the virtual columns. We just, we just didn't need to do a lot of that stuff at, at Capture. So you actually ended up losing or like you end up dropping some of the, the data that's coming in from logs. Is that what you're saying? I missed, I'm not sure if I misunderstood Well, that. so yeah, let me take another stab at that. So, um, let's take, um, let's take performance thresholding as an example. So you might say, let's, let's define a threshold. And if, if it's, if it's more than 15 seconds, it's a timeout. And if it's less than that or whatever, the bucketing you want. Kind of the traditional way to do that is score the data as it comes in because you know what the response time is. So just have a column for that and just put a category on it. And, and, you know, and then you can query on that category and you're good to go, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem is, well, what if the customer wants that baseline at 12 seconds or 25 or whatever? Then, then you'd have to go back and reprocess that data. Gotcha. So for those kinds of categorizations and scoring, anything like that that we can do at query time, we're actually doing at query time. Gotcha. Okay. And, and we ended up writing less data in, yeah. in the process, even though that wasn't really our goal. Gotcha. So you're keeping the original columns and fields like that that, that you derive, uh, that you'll use to derive those, those uh, uh, metrics, but then you're, you're just kind of avoiding, you're doing more at read time versus uh, as much at write time. And I'm guessing that's a tricky balance. It, it is, and and that's where the the views functionality in in Trino has has really saved our bacon because because what you end up doing is is we have some intermediate views mm -hmm. where basically we we hide a lot of that together. So so think about you've got you've got the the table format that the the Trino connector exposes, and then on top of that we put a, a message view and that's what gives us all those virtual columns that, that we were showing in that list that we had before. Then on top of that, we put predefined views. That's like, now you're getting into failures and threats and slowdowns. And then on top of that, you can put custom views hmm. and the custom and with Trino, like the custom views can inherit from the base views. 
you know you're not you're not limited in that kind of that kind of inheritance or or composition and it's really amazing mm-hmm. so um yeah it's been if there's been any theme in what we've been doing you know for the last 3 months or so um it's it's really been just rethinking everything that we were doing at capture time and and saying you know can can is this is this faster to do at query time is it better is it more malleable to do to do at query time yeah and and so far the answer in most of those cases has been yes especially if it's like exploratory and you're you're not you know returning everything right if if a customer is only looking at let's say a couple hundred uh rows at a time or something like that uh you know that's that's ridiculously cheap much cheaper uh and uh than than trying to optimize everything all at once uh on ingest so so i have absolutely a- so I have a naive uh, and like also semi-practical question from a Trina perspective then. Trina is a query engine. You run the coordinator, you run the cluster, and now you're slapping your storage system into that. What does that practically mean? Like how big do your nodes have to be? And where do the files actually get saved? Like are they like distributed across all the workers or is that some sort of like mounting? of like a shared drive or whatever, where you're writing, like how, what, what are you, how does this actually work? Because ultimately the files are not just sitting in memory over time, I guess, since you're saying it's a system of records, so it must go somewhere over time, right? Yeah, they, they do, they do eventually page off and, and we do, you know, what a lot of folks want to do is they want to, they want to have a backlog of a certain amount of data or a certain amount of months of retention and where the where the data will eventually page off or it will page off to cold storage so you could think about those binary files going out to s3 and being able to bring them back later um you know that's okay kind of, so they stay kind of in your they stay in your file format and then they bubble over into storage but initially they just sit on the on the workers that's what we're doing for our, for our first cut um martin's given us some ideas to to consider um, about what our next generation um, connector might look like, but but our first our first stab here is um, we're we're assuming that the binary files live local to where the where the worker is running. So and and so I think the better way to say that is there's one split per worker. Um, so we're using that we're using that pattern that you see with the with the HTTP um, log example. Um, and then, um, but it still gives you the, the distribution, right? Because as long as you're, as long as you're, you're evenly distributing the, the traffic across those, um, then, then, it, then you can do a, a distributed query, um, and you're, you're getting the data back from each node. And, and for our, I mean, I know that's, I know that's, that's primitive and, and a simple way to look at it. Um, but that's that's actually working for us um, quite well, and then I think the next step for us is to go to a um, multi-split per node kind of architecture, where then we're we're parallelizing the the reads to those those binary files um, instead of processing one job per per node. So I think we I think we 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 found a, an easy way to get started that that's producing some good results. Um, and then we can we can parallelize the the hell out of this thing, in um, in in the coming months, and and really be able to take it to to a whole new level. But any data for any payload only is on one node, right? 
for for right now yes mm -hmm. okay. and and actually i loved when um when dane asked this he got this question in in one of the recent meetups about wh why don't you have ha in in the coordinator and if i had to give the answer i, I would i would give exactly his answer um the answer that he gave was that people don't want to pay those extra dollars for all that extra infrastructure that isn't doing stuff for you most of the time like it's better just to it's better just to have a way to recover the node um than than to necessarily make everything redundant and we're we're really applying that same logic here so you think about like i've got one of these nodes i'm writing i'm writing files those files are probably be getting mirrored off to ebs if that node fails, I just need to bring the node back. I just need to get access to that, to what's on the EBS again. Mm -hmm. And if that's off for a little while, that's okay. I can bring it back. Um, and our customers would really prefer to have that lower cost approach than, than to spend a lot of extra money on the, the redundant um, Or yet another nine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always gonna be folks who are willing to pay yeah, yeah. for 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 the big nines but but there's not i don't know but when, when you really give them the option if you give them the choice a, a lot of them will will pick the cheaper one and and roll the dice and that that feels that feels right to us yeah that's very cool very cool so uh i think uh getting into where your your guys are right now uh you have this last kind of uh, visual showing um you know how how you all are have uh have structured this. So is this resurface database kind of the NMEM that we were talking about? And then Trino here is the other data sources or um, what's this part telling us here? Yeah, so so the 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 message that we're giving um, to, to our customers is that this is a, a turnkey solution. Um, we're not a big data platform where like we give you the platform and then you have to adapt it to a specific use case. We're, we're trying to give you a, a turnkey solution specifically around having having an API system of record. Mm. And so we can start with a single container version of that. We can go to a multi-container version of that. And and what we're showing here is is really what we think is the next the next quantum leap of that. Th this whole conversation that we've had here today is about using Trino as a primary data store or as your, you know, as your primary data architecture. But what we want to move to is, is a picture like this where, well, now that you have that API system of record, well, what can you do with it? Mm. Um, it's great that you can take that, you can connect your, your data notebooking tool, your machine learning people can use it. Um, you can pipe this into analytics or you can bring this into ETL and bring this, this data into your data mart. Like that's great. And that sounds like Trino. Like the more you start talking about that, yeah. that's Trino. So this idea now of being able to take this API, API call data and merge that data with data from other sources. Now we're actually getting the full value out of the, the Trino Starburst platform. Now I can start to talk about reconciliation cases where let's say your OLTP database is Postgres and you've got your system of record on the API side. Well, now you can do a reconciliation and you can say, were there any order attempts on the API side that didn't actually result in finished orders wow. for those customers? Where's that subsetting and where's that lost revenue? 
And, and I think that's just a whole nother plane um, for us to be, for us to be playing with. And, and I think, as I said, that's, that's where I think we'll, we'll bring in the, the whole value of, of the Trino ecosystem and, and all those other data sources out there. And that's the direction that I'm really excited about. Like as much as, as much as we're, we're super fans and, and we've used Trino as a way to, to build our system, that, that integration story that, that, that Trino has with, with, um, is is still our north star i think in terms of, of of what we're looking to do yeah you could really do like even you were saying like reconciliation in terms of like finding out just finding out how many lost dollars but then even if you let's say just something like you had garbage that garbage data or that garbage call and like put some some uh, crud into your uh into a couple rows uh, of your system and you want to identify that like what are, what are they uh, calls that resulted from from you know this recent attack that we had, and you could this would be a way that you could easily kind of address that across different data stores. So it's really interesting. Absolutely. Now I have I have another question. Um, it's a bit back to the technical stuff we talked about first. I love the idea how you're like going from the like bare bones binary files layering a view on top layering another view on top. And that gets us to a, a question that uh, that talks about views because views is something that we're actually going to be talking about next week as well. Yeah. Um, and I want to understand maybe from you and Martin, um, how does this even work? Like where are these views now stored? Like, like typically if you define views, they have to be stored somewhere, right? So are they stored in a Hive Meta store or like how does this work in your case and, and generally in Trino for this where you like, have a custom connector and now you have views like where's this like I, I know it's a binary blob that defines the view but where's the stored how does that happen well let me uh i mean uh talk briefly about views so views are like any other entity in uh in in, in a connector they are just like tables so but instead of having uh metadata that just says these are the columns and the and the and the and the types of the columns it also has the definition of the view um, so there, there's an API in the, in the, in the connector interface that, uh, Trino will call to say, give me, give me, uh, either give me table metadata, or if it's a view, give me the metadata, the metadata for the view. So it's up to the connector to decide where to store it, how to store it, uh, how to manage it. The high connector is one example of a connector that can handle views and can, and can store views, but any connector can do that. And, and imagine, uh, maybe Rob, you can talk about it, but I imagine your connector does that, right? Uh, no, but I'm going to put it on the list. Rob's taking notes. <laughs> uh, we're, we're using the memory connector. <laughs> oh, so the memory yeah. connector can store views? We are, we are now, I don't, I don't, I'm curious to see how, how you guys cringe when I say this, but yeah, we are, we're still using the memory connector, but we're only using the memory connector to store those view definitions. Mm -hmm. So if we lose them, it's okay because we can recreate them. The, oh, the actual static, data, right? yeah, they're, they're fair. They're, they, they don't change that, that often. You can change them on the fly, but it's really like that. That's not something you're doing. You're doing continuously. Um, but I, but I love the idea of, of actually being able to to manage those through, through through the connector and not not having to require the 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 through our connector, sorry, and not not having to require the the memory connector for that. Yeah. 
Well, um, and, and one thing is that the views don't actually need to be stored. They could be synthesized. For example, you can say, uh, you, you had the, you were talking about the, the view that does uh, thresholding. So you can synthesize a, a view that, that has a, as, as, as the definition has a synthetic query that you derive on the fly. When, when Trino says, give me the definition for this view, then you can say, well, I'm gonna assemble a query at this point and return it to you as a, 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 as a view. Um, so it doesn't need to be stored anywhere. It could be like, for example, if your customers are going to a system and saying, I wanna set my threshold to this, my threshold to that, you could go and query that system, look at the thresholds and then synth synthesize the query that will enforce those thresholds and then return it as a view. That's far out. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and and so the so the so the memory connector Martin has a has a config like has that built in that it can store those views. Yeah, yeah, it's just an API. It's it's, a, it's like a create view and and get view definition or something like that. As and, in the and case of the memory it, connector, as anything just, else, it stores it in memory, right? It's just a map. It's just a map that says for this name, this is the definition. So it's, it's pretty trivial implementation. Oh, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. And it, yeah, it, it's it's really and, and we think about like we and I, and I don't know if this is completely the intended purpose of this, but we we're looking at the memory connector as like I can I can connect to that like the the views that are defined there. Well, the the data underneath that could live anywhere. So that's where you could really say, like, you've got this one set of views, and and sometimes there's this data system behind it with one with you know with one container, and sometimes there's this system behind it with you know umpteen containers behind it, and you you really can't tell the difference. Like you're still running literally the same SQL um, against what you think is the memory connector, but the data doesn't actually live there. It's it's all been it's all been virtualized out. Hmm. Very cool. Okay. Uh, well, Rob, did, was there anything you wanted to kind of like touch on, finalize before we, we hop on to our, our PR of the week? Uh, we're, we're at just over an hour. And so we, we're probably needing to wrap up here in just a little bit, but, uh, but was there anything uh, you wanted to kind of mention about, uh, you know, how do people, I guess, find out about more about resurface and, and, you know, and anybody who's interested in kind of uh, you know, has APIs that they need to uh, keep the consistent pen testing going on, uh, wh where, where do they find out more about that and how do they get in contact with you? Yeah, so so if you've got an API and, and you're like wondering like, where's the Google Analytics for my API? You know, <laughs> where's like the equivalent of, of, of that? You know, where's, where's the mix panel or, or that equivalent in, in API land? that that's really the the role that we're trying to to fill and and doing that with a with a real you know DevSecOps flavor yeah and you you can find more at, at resurface.io okay. we have a uh we have a free pilot edition which is a, a free forever uh version it's it's download and go it's a very small container um it's a 250 meg download so we're actually going to do a post on how how we got Trino down into that that small a footprint? Wow, <laughs> I, um, I have some ideas is, about that. <laughs> which was easy, actually, it wasn't that hard. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can maybe we can trade some notes on that. Um, cool. Maybe there's things we missed. Um, yeah, but but we'd love to love to get your feedback um, and uh, lot lots more of uh, good good stuff and use cases over at over at Resurface IO. 
y'all have a Slack and a GitHub. I, I'm going to add those to the to the uh, uh, links. Anything, any other way that uh, folks can kind of uh, chat, hang out with you all, and uh... I know I know that he's also hanging out on the Trino Slack. Oh, so always you can find him there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you can also go to the Trino.io website right on the front. There is all the user testimonials and resources right there as well with everything. So right from the Trino website is as well possible. Awesome. Well, yeah, really appreciate the support. <laughs> yeah, we definitely appreciate your support. It's definitely Thanks. very mutual. Um, okay, so with that, let's let's hop on to the PR of the week uh, as well as the question of the week. Uh, PR of the week is is uh, uh, one that came in in the most recent uh, release, so we do get to still talk about 356 just a little bit. Um, so big shout out to TubeTube4 Tube uh, is one of uh, the. Uh, members of the community, uh, we don't actually know their name or anything like that. Uh, we've just known them as Tube Tube Four, and, and on uh, Slack it's T. So, uh, but uh, they're they're very uh, uh, prominent in the community. Uh, added adds a lot of great uh, features like this, and this is just one of those examples that uh, that uh, Tube Tube's been adding. So, um, so this is adding a uh, phonetic. Uh, function uh, functionality. It's a lot of fun to play with. Uh, if you don't find an actual use for it, you need to just like open up your Trino uh, CLI and just uh, hack hack away at this for a little bit. It's just it's loads of fun. So uh, I'll, I'll I mean actually, Martin, you were explaining a little bit about this before. What what is the Soundex function? What is it? Where is it from? Uh, it, it, it's a it's an old algorithm. I think it was popularized by uh, Donald uh, Knuth. I think it's in the art of uh, computer programming. Okay. Um, I don't think he, he created it, but uh, oh. he definitely talked about it. it. It's actually a pretty simple heuristic uh, algorithm. It, it and it's designed for English only. Uh, yeah. I think it does things like takes a word, uh, keeps the first letter, then removes a number, uh, a bunch of consonants and vowels. Uh, translates a bunch of uh, letters to numbers to canonicalize them and then gives you a, a result. So any uh, words that tend to sound similar end up uh, producing the same result. So it's a kind of a good way to see like if two words, it, it's, it's a way to query for, for things that might be misspelled uh, okay. that, that, that sound the same okay. or, or should sound the same. Gotcha. So, so let's uh, take a look at this. Uh, I, I looked at the example that uh, was in the, uh, the was in the drill uh, uh, documents, and it kind of uses this select first name from name data, uh, and then you just kind of compare first name to to Jamie. So, I made a couple of these for each of the folks on the call here today. Obviously, myself. So, let's go ahead and pull up. Uh, actually, I think I have it over here. Here we go. I have all these already copied over here. Um, so we have a big list of names uh, that we're pulling from uh, Bry, Bree, Brian uh, with a Y, Brian with an I, Brian with two N's, uh, Brianna, Brianna's, uh, Bry Jan, uh, which by the way, uh, Jan, uh, if you're on today, uh, I was trying to see if I could get Bry and Jan. Uh, we have uh, a Polish name Jan, which is J-A-N. So assuming that this is English, it's not going to uh, probably return the J-A-N. But if I put B-R-I space Y-A-N, it's it's uh, more likely going to say Bry-Yan. So, uh, and then we have Bob as a, as a very uh, uh, outlier test. So, so we, what gets returned is uh, Brian with a Y. Uh, and by the way, I do a where soundex name equals soundex of of Brian spelt with my name with the, with the I. So obviously we expect that the Brian with an I gets returned. Brian with a Y also gets returned. 
Brian with two wins gets returned. Brianna somehow gets returned. So uh, I'm, I'm guessing that that's due to the fact that uh, they removed the vowels. So uh, Brianna, the uh in Brianna uh, gets gets lost. And so it's just Brian again. And then uh, Brian, but but unfortunately, Yan uh, and the Polish pronunciation uh, does not get caught in there. So so some things you might expect would would work uh, maybe in different uh, ways that you pronounce the the words based on your own dialect might might change. So I had Manfred, uh, a couple from him. So I had Man, and then Fred, and then Manfred, and then Canfed, and then Tanbed, and then Man. <laughs> And then space Fred, <laughs> and then man space dread, and then Bob. Of course, we had to keep Bob. So let's see which ones get returned from that. So it's just Manfred, all one word, and man space Fred. So uh, so those those were the two that that worked. Uh, didn't keep Manfred, Tanbed, Canfed. None of those uh, stayed in. Can't be forged that easily, haha. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Martine was a bit of an interesting one. So, you know, we all know Martine's coming from Argentina. So, so we, you don't say it Martin like you would in, in the English pronunciation. So I was thinking that uh, I wasn't sure about how the algorithm worked. So I thought maybe Mar Martine, uh, if I put M-A-R space T and then like the word teen, like a teenager, uh, was, was not going to work. Uh, but let's do a quick call here and say... Surprisingly, Martine, uh, with the uh, with the vowels removed. Now that I know that that's the case, now that the vowels are removed, um, you uh, you actually get that equal. So Martine and Martin. Uh, uh, so I put Mart and I N. Uh, those those all get returned. So pretty much everything that I tried for Martine's so, name. So I have works. I have an interesting uh, suggestion there. I think Martini the drink would also be returned as true. I would I believe so. Let's give it a shot. <laughs> it will, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Martini. That's uh. No, we that's, just have to find out if that's your favorite drink. Yeah, <laughs> that's Martine's new nickname. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, yep, of course it gets returned. Um, and then we for Rob, uh, we have all the the various. Uh, you know, I put Robert, Rob, Bob, Bobbert, Bobby. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, the only one that comes back from that uh, is is uh, uh, Rob. Uh, so, because obviously the consonants changing, I think is what this this algorithm will detect. And then uh, the uh, we have a special guest that has not been showing showing up on video, but she's uh, she's on us here with Zoom. Uh, Christine is one of the co-founders, other co-founders from uh, from Resurface. I also used her name, and oh, I didn't put a ID here, and like not like it matters. But uh, uh, I I found some interesting uh, ones here. I was hoping that the Christine with a uh, K. Uh, would match the Christine with the CH. So when I ran this, and I this is again before I knew that it was just like removing vowels, um, that that Christine with a K didn't didn't show up. So depending on how you might think to use this, it it, it would it wouldn't work uh, if you're just trying to kind of find the exact phonetic uh, uh, matching. It's it's much more simplistic than that. So uh, now that I know that that that's what this function is actually doing, let's actually take a look at what this function is is returning. So let's go ahead and pull this from. And we can just do uh, select soundex name and actually see what uh, we'll do name as one of the uh, parameters. And I'll add these to this, I'll add this to the show notes, but I believe this will actually give a lot of insight as to what is actually happening here. 
So that's ultimately what these things are getting returned to is you keep the, uh, the, uh, maybe at least the first initial, and then somehow it, it, it's, uh, it's taking these different values. So that Christine starts with a K, um, you know, if, uh, I wonder if, yeah, I bet if we put Christine, we... I was going to suggest, uh, um, Brian, if you, if you open up the, uh, Wikipedia page on Soundex, it, it shows what, what the heuristic is it's actually pretty simple. Oh, okay. Let's see, Soundex wiki. There we go. Okay, so, yeah, so retains the first letter. Oh, it retains the first letter. There we go, of the name, and then drops all other occurrences of vowels. Oh, wait, not just vowels. A-I-O-U, but then also Y-H-W. And then replaces consonants with the digits uh, with digits as follows. And then it gives uh, B-F-P, so pr particular consonants, We'll get mapped to a particular number and then yeah okay so that that makes sense it's not just it's not just uh sort of special for english it's also special for like american english or so yeah yeah for sure oh wow okay so yeah so anyways we'll, we'll uh i'll add that uh that wikipedia page as well as the uh um the select uh query that that is actually pulling out these values next to the name so that uh, you all can play around with the sound expansion it's it's a fun little thing to play around with i don't know I'm, I'm struggling to I find think, a, any real production use cases for this, but but I'm sure there are some. <laughs> I, just... I think it's a good example PR for anyone that wants to implement another function. Like, you know, there's lots of use cases for implementing functions and this shows you sort of like how to hook in a new function. Um, and also recently we just added a PR that also got merged two days ago by Martin to to have the documentation for it. So those together can give you a pretty good clue mm -hmm. if you have any functions that uh, you wanna sort of add to yeah. like find the right hooks basically to get started. And then obviously depending on the function it can get a lot more complicated, but that, yeah. those are a good start. This uh, this PR was, <clears throat> I mean, relatively straightforward. It's it's mostly actually dealing with pulling in the commons codec library. Uh, there's n the, um, you know, TubeTube tube didn't necessarily uh, go on and and uh, uh, adjust or, or create this function uh, himself. He just pulled from. Uh, I'm guessing this is Apache Commons. Um, yes. And uh, and it's using the Soundex uh, function and and basically just passing down the uh, the, the string slice uh, into um, into the algorithm and then returning the uh, slice back. So it's it's a uh, it's it's not that hard in terms of code, but but you know. It, Something like this, especially because if you think about anything under the sun in, in the commons library, uh, they have a whole bunch of functionality that may even be useful for, for SQL queries, uh, not even just this one. And there's a whole slew of other phonetic uh, functions that could be called here. So anyways, very interesting uh, PR and just one that, again, shows uh, some, some easy ways to contribute, if, uh, especially if somebody has a real particular need. So thanks, TubeTube. Um, and then the question of the week, let's move on to question of the week and uh, we'll, we'll finalize the show is, how do you export query results into a file? So uh, yeah, a lot of folks like do uh, CTAS, which are the create table as uh, type queries to where uh, you're, you're trying to kind of move data uh, from one connector into another connector. But then uh, a lot of folks are, are get a little stumped whenever it's uh, trying to just get it out into a file. And, and so there's maybe some change or updates that we need to do on the documentation here. Um, and maybe add, add a little more about this specific execute functionality, but you would, you would use, uh, there's one example that, uh, is on the Trino CLI, 
um, documentation that, that shows it, but it doesn't really go into too much detail as to, um, as to, you know, uh, talking about how to use it and, and how it could be used to kind of, uh, export, but, um, does also show this output format here. And, and, and then we talk about the different formats here. So maybe a little bit of cleanup that could be done here in terms of the documentation, but, um, to show just like all out what, uh, how you would do this, you would basically use your, uh, your CLI executable and use this dash dash execute, uh, function to, uh, to encompass some sort of querying. And so in this case, we're just going to query, uh, the TPCH customer, and then just pull out five rows. Um, you'd specify a server. I think by default, this is going to be localhost 8080 anyways, so you may not even yeah. need this. But uh, um, And then you have uh, output into uh, whatever format. And uh, in the show notes, I've, I've outlined the, the different formats you can do. You can basically have a line and vertical, which I think are just text-based, uh, like the kind of how you would expect to see it, and um, ex uh, exporting from... Um, like uh, the 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 CLI um, uh, standard out, and then you also have like uh, tab separated, comma separated, and then JSON are are the other uh, options that you can do. And by default, it it uh, spits it out using uh, CSV without the header. You also have these TSV CSV header options uh, or unquoted as well. So um, so anyways, uh, let's uh, go ahead. I'm just uh, to do a quick uh, run through of this. Um, I have the, my Trino, um, my Trino cluster running in a Docker system. So I also included a, a Docker, a quick Docker run version of this. And I'll just quickly run this and show what this looks like. So, so we're sitting in here. We just basically need to, uh, run a, uh, a temporary Trino DB, uh, Trino, uh, a container, and it's going to connect to the existing network that I have, uh, that's running. And then I'm going to just execute. Um, all, all it's going to do is execute this uh, Trino command, uh, running the uh, CLI, and then uh, ultimately spit it out. I've, I've changed the instead of localhost, it's actually pointing to uh, the the internal name in Docker that I have. So it's Trino coordinator. So we we run that. Take it a second to actually pull up the container since this is actually doing the Docker thing. And then we have this local file here, customer CSV. Can just cut that out, and yep, there we go. We have uh, with some headers, and we have the CSV. So that's that's that. It's it's pretty straightforward to actually just uh, spit spit that out and uh, um, and do uh, a little easy uh, file. I guess uh, hand a file off to whatever other process you need to um, two, adjust it. Two two additional tips I can give about that. Um, sure. First one is uh, the minus minus execute allows you to execute a statement. Uh, basically what it does is it calls whatever and then executes afterwards, right? Like it, like the Trino command will exit and, and finish. Um, if that SQL statement is any longer than that little statement that you have there, you can use the minus F function mm. or option to feed a SQL file in it. So if you have a long SQL statement, then you feed that SQL statement from the file into it. Um, and then as a that hack, yeah. Uh, uh, to, to add, Manfred, uh, that's useful if you have uh, queries that have double quotes or quotes and you yeah. don't want to deal with uh, escaping quotes in the bash command line. Very, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so the typical thing is to use a file. And then and then since we talked about the, the memory connector with Rob today, um, an example on how I use this in the Trino the Definitive Guide uh, book, we used it to 
uh, insert the iris data set into the memory connector to write queries with. So mm. in the book uh, that you can download for free from Starburst uh, and the example uh, repository is also in the Trino org, there is uh, a query that uses exactly that approach, which does a create table as into the memory connector, which inserts the iris flower data set that you can use then to do analysis and stuff like that. So cool. Um, We'll add those right there as well. Yeah, we'll add those examples as well into the show notes. Uh, and maybe at some point, this could be something we'll, we'll use to, to get into the documentation. So. Sure, sounds good. Cool. All right. Well, um, if I uh, think that's about it, uh, thanks, everyone. And thank you so much for joining us today, Rob and Christine. And uh, uh, hopefully uh, we're, we'll be seeing those, uh, those updates and uh, uh, basically have the full Trino analytics system uh, running underneath. Uh, uh, resurface here shortly. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. This is this is a blast. Great. So awesome. mu music for the show is uh, from Mega Man's Six Gameplay Album Christ uh, by Christoph Slavikowski. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs>